Hello and welcome to episode 44 of The Figure, a podcast about lifelong learning. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future presented by George Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. And this week I have had a lot of interesting things because I was still on holiday and therefore had time to watch and read. Oh, great. What about you, Char? Um, I have not had time to watch or read. Um, <laughs> so why don't you kick us off with what you've been watching and reading? I feel like Dolly Alderton's um, Sunday Times style column really summed up why holidays are so important. Um, because you get to do all of these sorts of things that you, are, you never do when you know when you're working full time especially in a big city you have constant things that are happening and they're always dictated by other people and it's constantly a schedule and this person this person this person and when you're on holiday you're literally doing next to nothing and it's so important to do that regularly otherwise you will just lose your mind yeah i completely agree that's what i feel is a huge shift of moving from london to edinburgh it's yeah. just the she talks about the phobia of a blank diary page and it's such a huge thing especially when you are living in a city where you're surrounded by people who also have jam-packed diaries that if you don't plan 12 weeks in advance you just you you're on your own because nobody's free and it's just so lovely that I can call or text somebody and just say are you around on Sunday afternoon they're like yes I am and then you just go it's I love those spontaneous things where you just go with the flow and you see how it's gonna pan out but that doesn't happen all the time if you're all in your schedule yeah, exactly, um, which is very depressing. And, and um, so I thought that she really summed that up very well. I watched a really in- interesting documentary by Kathy Burke, who is a very funny comedian. Oh, I really want to watch yeah. that. Um, it was recommended by a very good girlfriend of my mum's who she and I um, hung out in the afternoon and I was asking just lots of just advice and things that you want to ask adults that aren't your parents basically and she recommended that I watch the episode on relationships um, in this series and the difference and it really goes into the difference between men and women you know what is love why we have love why we have relationships why love hurts so interesting they were talking to this anthropologist um, at Oxford University about and essentially what she said was relationships are actually like romantic relationships are actually really annoying and anxiety provoking <laughs> oh that's good that we've had a confirmation right. from an totally. and, and she, what she said was that what you get when you fall in love it's like a drug literally it's it's a sort of subset of morphine mm. it's called beta endorphins it's the same pathways as addictive substances totally and it's it's a painkiller and that's why when you're separated from that person or you separate, it actually physically hurts because you're withdrawing from that. That is so interesting. And you need that drug in order to do it again because you wouldn't <laughs> if you didn't have that drug, basically, um, because it's so annoying. Um, <laughs> and she also said that in that vein that actually romantic love is the most disposable you actually don't need it to survive other than to reproduce you actually don't need it you know you survive grief you survive a breakup the love that you can't live without and this is what was so moving is the tribe is friendship that's the love that if you know if you don't have friendship you die 
Um, and I was just like, that makes so much sense. Um, that's why people thrive in communities. That's why people who go to the pub every day are actually you know live longer not the the people who drink to death but the ones who are you know actually in that social environment is why it's so important um and I just thought that was so moving and kind of that's just um, beautiful it is beautiful And, and it's it's not something that's new you know, I, I I think that we definitely both already knew that, especially after George's amazing twenty first. I feel like that was George's my brother. Nice segue. It was um thanks. Um <laughs> that was just such a reminder of I I just loved every single person who was there so much and that it doesn't have to end, provided that we don't have any huge tragedies and you never know what life is going to throw you and just I want to be grateful for every moment I have with all these people Mm -hmm. but it just never you know they're lifelong friends that's it you know you don't have to worry about breakups or or any of that because they're always going to be there and they're you know your net yeah um and then thirdly I discovered this uh other podcast um it's about money and managing money and it's kind of got a very feminist um center at it because it's sort of the only taboo not only but one of the taboos that we almost don't even know it's a taboo because it's so entrenched um and that is of course Shah's new podcast called Bang on the Money and um her first guest is Harriet Ulner and it was just a really it's just one of those kind of conversations that's so easy to listen to you know walking to the tube or walking doing your super you know one of those podcasts is quite comforting to listen to and I I and I love those kinds of podcasts I'm so glad um, that you said that that means so much to yeah, me thank you and I'm so happy for you and so proud of you for for this piece of work and I'm so excited to hear more yeah there are another six episodes to come so seven in total and in that first episode with Harriet who I used to work with actually that's how I know her and um we talk about all sorts of things like early money memories and um where your financial attitude kind of comes from in terms of your parents Mm. and then we also run through loads of books career guides money very practical and like give apps some that apps you use. to download and stuff. Yeah. So there's hopefully a mix of emotional and memory and and practical advice in there. Um, but lots of the authors that I mentioned in the episode will be upcoming guests. So we'll link it and you guys can subscribe if you are interested oh, yes. in that. Do subscribe. If you listen to the figure, please subscribe to Bang on the Money um, because it's just it's brilliant. And also it's it's half of the figure. Yes. in bang on the money so we definitely all need to go and sub- support and just speaking of subscribing and rating and reviewing this week we received our first one star rating and we've been it's pretty good to be honest we've been going for more than a year and every rating so far has been five stars so thank you so much to everyone who's rated but if you are a regular listener and you like what we say and you like that it's non-scripted which was the comment that um was in this review um i personally quite i just prefer podcasts where they go off on tangents and it's a bit more natural and a bit more chatty and curious um that's just our style and that's what we prefer to do um we would love to hear from you so please please take a minute you can pause the podcast now and just go and send a little review and it would make such a big difference because then more people will hopefully find us and learn as we learn each week 
The first figure that we're going to be looking at this week is Sir Isaac Newton. Now, I think everyone probably knows Isaac Newton as the man who discovered gravity, quote unquote, by sitting under a tree and an apple falling on his head. Am I correct? (laughs) Yes, you are correct. That is the story that... But actually... When I was thinking about this, everyone says, oh, he discovered gravity. But you can't discover gravity because it's not like it didn't exist before and then it existed after the apple fell on his head. He just made the... He just developed the law of universal gravitation. Yeah. Almost sort of observed it and then wrote it down and actually made... It was a paradigm shift in how we saw the world, basically. Yeah. Um, And the reason that we are talking about this is I actually went to... Walsthorpe Manor um, last week. Which had the uh, apple orchard, apparently, where he was observing the apples. Yeah, I have a photo under the tree. (laughs) The tree. Oh, wow. The tree, yes. I can imagine Um, you getting so excited about that. Yeah, I got freaked out. We were driving in, we were driving into the parking lot, and I just thought, oh my God, do you think the tree is here? And Arthur was like, yeah, it probably is. And then we both just could not contain, because Imagine what would you do if you if you were in front of the tree with the apple with the gravity and the Isaac you wouldn't be able to really I'd contain be really your excited about that especially because actually this is a tangent I did um an apple sculpture quite a few years ago and it was based on the geometry of an apple which has is kind of a five-pointed star if you cut it horizontally rather than vertically and so I then had five pieces of symbolism that was all to do with stories to do with apples and one of them was of course Isaac Newton and that was discovery as my uh one of my bands of my sculpture so that would have been yeah I'm sure you will um so he was born on the 25th of December in 1642. That's my fun fact. Oh, what's your fun fact? So that's obviously Christmas Day, which is super cool. Um, but also that's only according to the Julian calendar. I know, that's true. And then it changed to the Gregorian calendar, which is what we use now. And that started in 1582. But it took 300 years for them to actually fully convert to the new calendar. So if you use the new calendar, he was born on the 4th of January, 1643. Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well... He also died when he was 84 years old, which is pretty old for those days. But his father, who's also called Isaac Newton, had died three months before he was born. Um, So his mother gave birth to him, um, I think, with her mother there, but on her own, essentially. And um, he was absolutely tiny. I think he was really early and premature. Um, But the thing that I found interesting, similar to our theme last episode, was this idea of a broken, divided home. I think it affected him greatly. From the research that I've done on him, he actually seemed like quite an introverted, quite angry, um, obviously incredibly intelligent individual. But, you know, his mother remarried and he, you know, I think he either refused to to go and live with her or she left him to live with her mother. Um, And so there was this divide and she had more children. When I read the biography, it sounded like he was passed over to his grandmother and he grew up with her um, because his mother wasn't necessarily interested in that. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah, because he must have... I wonder if he just was quite a shy person who was more comfortable in his own company and therefore that meant that he had more time to think and develop his laws and all the the 
areas of physics that he was researching. Well, I mean, perhaps. I mean, there's there's even an account of him um, threatening to burn down his mother and stepfather's house when he was about eight or nine, and he threatened to burn their house down with them inside it. So there was obviously it was obviously quite an angry child. Um, wow. Mm, um, and it's sort of because when I was walking around the house, I just thought, what makes a genius a genius? Just like how are these individuals? I mean, he changed the course of history and also you know he's, he even has a unit named after him i mean you measure force with newton like a newton meter um i think a lot of these sorts of things come from a lot of pain and it actually motivates them hugely um he actually was sent to the king's school in grantham which is a place i've walked past quite a few times but his mother actually attempted to make him a farmer and tried to get him to leave school early of which he refused yeah so very hard-headed and strong-willed as well by the sounds of it and knew his own mind yeah that's such an interesting question that what makes a genius a genius and i i find the word and the concept genius really interesting um particularly after watching elizabeth gilbert's brilliant ted talk she wrote eat pray love and she talks about the concept of genius and because that book was so phenomenally successful lots of people asked her well how are you going to go about writing anything else because it's never going to be as good as this which just shows our kind of competitive hierarchical structure of society but she and financial yeah exactly that they're just measuring success by the number of books it sells by money yeah. yeah um but she talks about how it was only in the renaissance that they talked about a man as a genius or a woman as a genius mm. rather than having a genius and so up until that point it had been um well the romans and greeks believed that there was a sort of quote-unquote demon or spirit who would alight on a certain person and then that would flow through Mm. them and then that was how this creative work was made and it was she just describes it as a kind of buffer between the pressures of creating and creating and creating and creating and just how if it's you, you know it's not not so accountable you know if you've got something else that is coming and resting on you then you can go well I showed up I showed up and the genius just didn't show up today yeah people are you know you don't have to identify as you know like like she said you don't have to identify as this genius the same with academically it's you know you you may have an academic genius but that may not you may not have that until later on it doesn't mean that you're never going to be academic or you're never going to be this or you're always going to be this no exactly I think I I always talk to my dad about um that because he has probably read the most number of books of anybody that I have ever met but he really didn't read at all until he was in his early to mid 20s wasn't particularly academic and then just developed into that later on um, and people are always surprised to hear that because they have this idea of someone who's a great reader to be that way from birth. Totally. Another interesting thing about Isaac Newton is that he actually, he went to Cambridge, but it wasn't, he didn't actually apply and go to Cambridge. I don't think he was actually um, able to afford that. But his uncle, who was at Cambridge, got him a job as a valet 
and he actually started working as a valet or valet. I don't know how you pronounce it in Valet. I think it's Valet, isn't it? It's Valet. From Downton Abbey. Yeah, from Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah, I'm that was, so excited for the film. That was oh my, my reference as Valet. Out soon. Um, and started working as a Valet and then got a scholarship because he couldn't afford it. Um, How interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you pay your dues, I guess. Even Isaac Newton did yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Which is interesting. Did it have anything um, in the house about his interest in alchemy? Yes, alchemy and philosophy, but not to nearly enough of an extent um, that it should, because obviously they're going to be representing one particular viewpoint of him. Because that's something that I think is not so widely known about him, that he um, read works by someone called Henry Moore, and that alchemy and magical phenomena was a huge interest and passion yeah. of Isaac Newton. And huge. I find that element fascinating as well, that he had that um, open-mindedness, I guess, and that then this great discovery of a law that had not been written down before came to him. Um, and I wonder what role that played as well. When I think of alchemy, I always think of, um, of Harry Potter and Nicholas Flamel and, like, and the Philosopher's Stone. Of course. That's the kind of easiest of way to uh, of explain it. Totally. No, totally. And, and also um, um, people at the time that this was sort of discovered, I think what happened in 1936, there was a series of private letters um, that were sold, which took six years to decode. And in those letters, it showed that he was interested in this sort of thing. And people called it pseudoscience at the time. Yes. And he wrote about how he thought the world was going to end in 2060. And people thought, gosh, we thought of him as this sort of very scientific person. But it kind of proves, I think anyway, that spirituality and science go hand in hand. A lot of people disagree with that. Um, but clearly that's something that he believed as well. And philosophy and physics are degrees that are, are done that are done a lot in, in tandem with each other because they actually go hand in hand a lot. Mm. Mm. Especially when you get into something like quantum physics where there are unexplainable, un, you know, inexplicable phenomena and... And I think that certain people working in that field also have that open-mindedness and um, often have spiritual interests and that those can complement each other and not be battling forces as they so often are depicted. I feel like with his, um, with his theories, other than the calculus composition of light and the three laws of gravity and motion, which I guess are the three that are like textbook views now that anything else that he suggested or read about shouldn't be like why are those three things textbook now and everything else is sort of question marked i don't know i'm i'm i i think that's a mm. million dollar question it's why do why does the scientific community promote and accept one thing and not others um, exactly and actually exactly. on that note even the um even with gravity there was an article that came out earlier in august um this year which was saying that the the idea of gravity not that gravity is an idea obviously it's a thing um was written about in indian scriptures um that were from you know centuries ago 
um, and the Minister for Human Resource Development urging people to take on more research into the ancient scriptures because there are lots of very um, quote-unquote advanced Western laws that are also seen in Eastern scriptures. Um, I think there's always this tone of surprise when you see something that is considered to be advanced when it comes from ancient wisdom or even from children. You know, when when a child does something yeah. really remarkable and everybody is always you know, oh my gosh, and they're only this age. But it just, it, it follows this idea that as we get older and we, we're always progressing, but I just don't think that's necessarily the case. No, not at all. Often children have so much insight that an adult would never even think of because they've got so many biases that they've inherited from one thing or the other exactly um and just to like Mm. repeat um the three things that newton is kind of most critically acclaimed for is discovering or kind of putting into a formula is like calculus which is looking at things that are infinite and numbers that are infinite composition of light and that white light is made up of actually the colors of the rainbow and laws of gravity and motion um and like the equation f equals ma which is sort of force equals mass times acceleration and the third law which is for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction which i think most people know about but those are the three things made mainstream The second figure that we're going to talk about today is that Kirsty Young has stepped down after 496 episodes of Desert Island Discs, which is a sad announcement, but also mind-blowing. Like, f- almost 500. I'm actually quite sad that she didn't get to 500. <laughs> I'm sure she is as well. But my first question is, do you have a top three favorite Kirsty Young broadcast Desert Island Discs? So mine are Freddie Flintoff. Oh, um, I listened to that one yesterday. Isn't it the best? Brilliant. I love I him. also just get the feeling that he's such a fun person. He's just one of, of his, my absolute almost, heroes. <laughs> um, almost all of his were, I mean, lots of them were cricket related for obvious reasons, but loads of them were related to him singing or dancing or somebody else singing and I really loved that. I think he'd just be a really fun person at a party. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I grew up watching him and um, play cricket. And I just, you know, he talk, he's one of the first kind of male sportsmen to talk openly about mental health. And I just think it's just amazing. And oh, his choice of songs were great. So they were, they were amazing. Agreed. Um, another one I loved was David Knott who was a surgeon... Oh, haven't heard that one. A surgeon who worked in extreme, extreme conditions in horrific, horrific war zones all over the world and tells this incredible story about how when he met the Queen, um, he just froze um, because he was just kind of still really suffering from PTSD. And um, the Queen, because she's obviously a consummate professional with this sort of thing, she said, should we just feed the dogs? And just took him out and fed the dogs. and um, Oh, that's so gorgeous. He was just so moved by how she could completely pick up on what he was, you know, feeling and thinking. And, and um, 
yeah, it was, it was, it was sort of very moving to to listen to. And then I also love Tom Hanks, and I also am very much aware that I have three males, um, which is unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll choose three women, okay. and then that will balance it out. Um, Tom Hanks is, is incredible. Yeah. And what I really love about... Um, well, loved about researching this segment is that it reminded me that lots of the episodes that I have loved and listened to, I associate with certain places of where I was when I listened to it. Mm. So, um, obviously, Desert Island Disc has been around for more than 75 years. Um, started in 1942 by Roy Plumley, who came up with the concept and the people who are cast away to a desert island choose eight discs that they would take with them. Um, and so I knew about it for years, but I didn't really start listening to it and still, until I was travelling, I think. And because you have so many, much time on buses or trains or just walking around airports or whatever, I listened to lots. And Tom Hanks was one where I was Bolivia and it was freezing. And I think I was just... It's also quite weird listening to it when you're in a public place because he gets so emotional in this interview and Kirsty Young just pulls this story out of him for his childhood and why he's chosen certain songs and it's just really, really moving. But it was one of those episodes where I just wanted to take myself away from everyone and just re-listen to it mm. and be in a quiet place. Um, but I just oh, just love it so much. Um, what were the other ones I listened to in particular places and then re-listened to them I guess mm. so Ed Sheeran um, oh, yeah. listened to that with my brother I think that was the first one I listened Me to with George oh. and he fully got into Jazz Island Discs after he listened to the Ed Sheeran episode Jamie Oliver brilliant and then you just go through oh, Jamie you know, you just, Oliver's was so, Hugh Grant's was great as well it's hilarious. It yeah. didn't make it made me not like him as much. Oh. Especially when he chooses what is it like Flopsy Rabbit or something. I think that's quite funny. Discs. I think that's quite funny. I think that I think this shows that there's a human being behind Hugh Grant and not just like a host of characters that he's played. <laughs> I think he was maybe making fun of his own hair. Yeah. Um The worst one, Simon Cowell choosing a mirror as his luxury item. Yeah. I mean talk about playing up to the stereotype of your own I know, but he loves it doesn't <laughs> persona he? i think sue lawley almost choked when she heard that but anyway back to kirsty young episodes um three of my favorites are cheryl sandberg who similar to tom hanks i think that people didn't necessarily expect her to be as open and as vulnerable as she was in that interview and a lot of people have a bugbear with Sheryl Sandberg and say that she didn't go far enough in her book Lean In and that she didn't really walk her talk. But mm. when it comes to talking about the grief that she experienced after the death of her husband, that is an extraordinary episode to listen to. I think yeah. I was on a bus in London when I listened to that. And again, mm. I just wanted to be on my own. Maybe I need to start listening to Desert Island Discs, not on public transport. <laughs> I know, they're pretty profound. That's true. Yeah. Um, Emma Bridgewater and Joe Malone were other episodes mm. that I absolutely loved. Loved hearing how their businesses developed, all about how they grew up, their mums um, and family life. Joe Malone had a great story about her sense of smell is so acute mm. that her husband was trying to surprise her and the surprise totally failed because she could 
she knew that they were there from going into the lift of the hotel because he, she could smell him. Wow. I do I remember that, actually. That I did listen to that. It was very good. I also listened to one of my favourites of all time, and I, I send this to a lot of male friends, um, is Billie Jean King's. Um, <gasps> so good. Um, also, Guy Singh Watson, he's the founder of Riverford, um, which is the sort of oh, first yeah, his is organic delivery service. And um, Alexander McQueen is one of my favourite people in the whole world. Um, I would do anything to meet him. And uh, Philip Tracy's one was really good because it gives mm. you an insight. That was incredible. The, what was it called again? Milliner, hat maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a very close relationship. They were kind of discovered by the same um, person, um, Isabella Blow. Mm. Um, what a great name. Uh, and it just gave a bit of an insight into him and, and, and their relationship and how they work together. Um, also Baroness Newlove. Um, she is the victims commissioner for England and Wales um, because her husband, Gary Newlove, um, was murdered in 2007 um, and she's just sort of been campaigning for victims of murder and, and, and crime as such ever since and she's just, gosh, such a hero. I mean, it, it takes a, a big person to be able to put themselves out there after a huge trauma like that. So mm. my question to you, Shah, is why do you think it's a show that is, gives us such an insight into an individual? I think that um, the format of it of it pulls that out of people because music mm-hmm. in itself is inherently emotional. And when you are told to go through this process of finding eight discs, only eight, I mean, it must be... I mean, all so many of the guests just say, this is agony to try and whittle it down to only eight. And a lot of them go through and they look at different chapters of their lives and then what would remind them of that. So you get a very personal insight into that person's life through music. And then I think that the connective aspect of it is not only the stories that you hear, particularly from Kirsty Young, who, in my opinion, is the best interviewer that Desert Island Discs has had. Um, but yeah, also... her voice is so good as oh, well. Oh, her voice is just so gorgeous. Yeah. She grew up in Glasgow, um, which is, well, near Glasgow, and she's just got this, like, lilt about it. It's so comforting. Um... But I think it's it's music in itself because you see the choices that people have had and then you might have your own memories. And I loved a quote from Catelyn Moran, which I listened to recently, the writer, and she said that she doesn't trust anyone who doesn't choose a Beatles song for their Desert Island disc, <laughs> uh, which I thought was a, a great uh, sentiment. The third figure that we're going to look at today is a doodle by the actor and stand-up comedian, Jesse Cave. The doodle that we want to look at is one where one girl says, nice to meet you, and the other girl is saying, I have stalked you extensively on Instagram, and then that's scored out, and it says, nice to meet you too. Um, and I think it just sums up the humour that she puts into her doodles, but also the very current, very modern anxieties, especially around social media, especially around relationships. And she's so good at making something that is could be just awful into something that can also make you break out laughing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually disabled my Instagram last 
Friday because, um, yeah, for the reasons that it sums up in the doodle, really, I just was like, why am I doing that? Like, why am I spending time looking at people, posting things? I just felt like it was a bit of a waste of time for me and I was getting, like, really caught up in it. And I don't know if it will be forever, but it's just, I'm experimenting with it. How did you feel? I mean, I I think we can all safely say that there are people that we've met where we pretend that they're the first time we've met them, but we uh, know quite a lot about them already. Um, How does it make you feel when you are in that position? Oh, like an idiot. Like, why am I doing that? Like, they've got issues just like me and insecurities just like me, and they feel shit about themselves like I do sometimes. And yet I've put them on potentially a pedestal because I've stalked them or think that there's one way, but they actually might not be feeling like that. And I thought, gosh, that's the whole problem with this comparison culture that we have as early 20-somethings. What makes our agony growing up so much... And beyond. Yeah. lots of people who have that as well. And what makes it so much worse is we're growing up and trying to figure out life, and yet everyone around us looks like they're bossing it. So that adds Mm. to the pressure. Um... Mm. And it can be difficult. What are your favourite honest Instagram accounts to follow? Obviously, you've disabled it, but who do you follow that you feel gives an accurate representation of what's going on? Um, Giovanna Fletcher. Yeah. Um, who hosts Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Uh, Bryony Gordon. Um, yeah, she'd be on my list. I love... I watch um, a family vlog, uh, Nadia Sawala, who is on Loose Women. She's an actor. Um, and she's on Loose Women. And she and her husband and her family have a vlog. And her husband um, talks a lot about mental health. And, um, uh, yeah, they're definitely a very... I feel like they're quite real um, in terms of what they put on Instagram. Um but I just got to a point where I was like, I don't even care if it's real or not. I just don't want to see, I just don't want to scroll mindlessly. And I want to like mm. read on my way to work and I want to read before I go to bed. And I want to not have that to fill that time with something more productive. Um, mm. But but the comparison culture is just so pervasive. It's really hard to get away from. And um, Jesse Cave talked about that in a great podcast with the comedian Sophie Hagen, mm. which is called Made of Human. Mm. And she talked about what it was like to film with Emma Watson, mm. who was a couple of years younger than Jesse Cave, had obviously been in the films for a lot longer. Jesse Cave, for anyone who doesn't know, played Lavender Brown in the Harry Potter um, films, and I think came in at the sixth one, Half Blood Prince. Yeah. Um, but she just, you know, had to keep on reminding herself, look, you're not Emma Emma Watson and that's okay. And that Emma Watson will have her own problems as well. And that you're all on your own path and your own scale. Um, But you don't need to keep on putting yourself down by looking at other people. Yeah. And it's funny because Emma Watson is, of course, portrayed as one of those people who's like, just perfect. She's like beautiful Mm. and like an activist and a very successful actor. Um, But she'll have her own things. Um, and I think, and I bet Emma Watson compares herself to loads of other people totally, as well. Totally. Um, so Gwyneth Paltrow talks about that. Yeah. So if Gwyneth Paltrow is comparing herself to other people, I mean, it literally hits everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what I found so compelling, I mean, I didn't really know much about Jessie Cave other than seeing Lavender Brown, but I first heard her um, in Love Stories, 
um, a podcast by Dolly Alderton, which is one of my favourite, and it came out on February the 1st. I was one of the illest I've ever been in my life, and there was one morning where I'd forced myself to go into work, and I was on the tube, and I it was like... I don't know what I would imagine like hallucinating or like being on acid would be because I was just everything was just surreal I got to the office I was like oh my god I have literally made it through oh most impossible journey um and I got sent home immediately of course um and I was sent in an uber bundled in an uber and I'd had this podcast saved and I was just I was just like lying in the back of the uber listening to Jesse Cave and there was a lot, a lot of traffic and yeah it, it lasted the whole journey home and it was painful to listen to because the honesty and the vulnerability is so intense I don't know how she has the courage to talk about it so publicly and then listening to it for the second time which I did today oh, I felt a little bit more prepared so it wasn't as bad and actually I realized that they are now together so they are and that's what's also been interesting so I saw her performance of Sunrise which is her one woman show and it premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe last summer and she did it again this year and I am so happy that I got tickets I went with my friend Clara who didn't know anything about Jessie Cave beforehand and there the show is essentially about her breakup with Alfie Brown, who's also a comedian who she had a one night stand with then had a baby with then had another baby with when they were together and then they break up and it's a lot about the unpickings of the anxieties around that breakup she also talks about um a rape that happened when she was 15 by her tennis coach yeah and it as she says in the dolly alderton interview it is not the Mm -hmm. most important or uh impactful thing in the show and it's just a fragment of her story and she provides a different narrative Mm. around that assault that I haven't ever heard of before. And I think that that can be what is so shaking when you listen to anything where she talks about it, really. It's very um, unnerving, in a way, her confidence um, in talking about it. But I think that honesty and the vulnerability is translated in her doodles, and we'd really recommend that you go and have a look at them. And listen to the Love Stories episode and the Made of Human podcast with her. Thank you so much for listening to episode 44 of The Figure. Um, as always, you can contact us on Instagram at Figure Podcast or at our Gmail account, which is thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. Um, there are lots of episodes to listen to in the archive if you haven't already. And one of them is by Jennifer Kerris, and she has a show on in Edinburgh, which is at Lemon House, um, and it's called Willow, and it's about breakups. So fits with what we were talking about with jesse cave and you can use the code lemon in capitals for 20 percent off your ticket price well yes i wish um jennifer best of luck for that and i wish i could go but sadly i will not be in edinburgh um or anywhere near scotland until your birthday which is later in october so excited